Geekville Radio. Hello once again, ladies and gentlemen, geeks and geekettes, and fellow Whovians. This is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, the mayor of Geekville, and the host of Geekville Radio, and the pilot of a TARDIS here. I'm taking my TARDIS out for one more spin here, because it is day 28 of National Podcast Post Month, nay, Pod Pomo 2023, and this is going to be our last Doctor Who entry into Napod Pomo this year. But it's a doozy because it goes back quite a way. Obviously, I have a TARDIS here, so I can go back in time and grab something if I want. So this is one of the earliest segments we ever did on Examining the Doctor. It's myself, Mark Short, and Uncle Greg talking the top and bottom Doctor Who stories of all time as voted by readers of Doctor Who magazine, the official publication. Now, this is in 2013. So there's going to be no Capaldi stories, no Jodie Whittaker stories, because obviously they both had their stories after this podcast was made. But there is really a lot of good talk in here, classic who, new who. There's really some stuff to crunch on, and I definitely do recommend, if you haven't watched these stories, especially if you're only familiar with the modern Doctor Who, there are some really excellent stories that we talk about. And some of them I think we've actually gone on to do in episode commentaries like Genesis of the Daleks and uh, Caves of Androzani. So this one is a real treasure personally to me uh, because it is, again, one of the first shows we did, but I think it's also one of the best. So without further ado, here is our Examine the Doctor episode from 2013 looking at the top and bottom, basically the best and the worst Doctor Who stories of all time at the time. Attention all Time Lords and Ladies. This message is being sent by the Order of Lady President Romana and the High Council of Gallifrey. Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor. News and commentary on stories by everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. This episode looks at the 10 best and worst Doctor Who stories as of 2013. Examining the Doctor is part of the Geekville Radio podcast family and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and at geekvilleradio.com. We're going to go over the recently released 50th anniversary list that came from the official Doctor Who magazine. Now, is that the same that was once Doctor Who Monthly and Doctor Who Weekly, or is it a different publication? Yeah, I believe so. There's Doctor Adventures, but that's like a new thing that came up for kids. Yeah. It originally started as the weekly. I actually remember getting the first, maybe the first issue 20 of that, because I, I hadn't got the original. But over the years, you pick up the old issues. Yeah. And, they, and maybe when they switched from monthly to Doctor Who magazine, the, the number one might have rolled back to one or something like that. Yeah, m- monthly is really where I started getting it. I still actually have my original monthlies in the original blue binders if anybody has got them with the gold embossed neon logo on and when you slip them inside there's a piece of like cotton wire that slid under the magazine so you could review 12 issues of the magazine in each binder you could look at them but they would always cut into the magazine so if <laughs> over the years my keepsakes which were meant to have been kept safe were garroted slowly by the wires inside the 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 binders but yeah, the, uh, the, there was this, uh, list, of course, that just, I actually 
saw a little bit of it online today, and I totally disagree with it's the top ones, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> I figured we would start with the bottom. Tenth uh, from the worst. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which at number 232, and I know a little bit of trivia about this episode, the Space Museum, which was a Hartnell story. I think you guys may know the trivia in this one, or at least what I'm thinking about, about a certain guest star. No, go ahead. I'm, I forgot. It's, I want to say it, but I haven't thought about it in a long time, so I will defer to you. Okay. If I recall correctly, because this, this was one where they, obviously they had the, uh, the people in storage, and there was a whole time thing about the doctor and Ian and Barbara eventually being imprisoned. But there were people that were revolting, and the, the revolting people had these really big eyebrows, and one of them was a young Jeremy Bullock. Ah, uh, Boba Fett. Yeah, who went on to be in the Time Warrior retweet uh, story. But yeah, so Howley Archer. Yeah, <laughs> he autographed my VHS of that. Yep. Yeah. Back to the Space Museum. Yeah, that one's pretty awful. I think I maybe have watched probably about thirty percent of it in my life. It's just really a, a duffer to get through. There's nothing really to look at when it comes to sets and actors are boring and the script's bad. Yeah. And basically, yeah, well deserves its place on the Yes, it's it's just not a very good story. Well, as I've said before, I'll, I'll defend Classic Who because even if it doesn't age well, a lot of times the stories are just good. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure some of these, they make great books, but I'm not sure this one would even make for a great book. Well, one good thing about the Space Museum, if you look it up on Wikipedia, you will see a picture of the Doctor popping out of a doll-like armor. That, that may be the highlight of the episode. Yeah, yeah, that is probably the single most memorable thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you can save yourself however many minutes, 90 minutes of your time and just look at that picture and move on. Yeah, again, type one doll should bigger on the inside, I guess. <laughs> But uh, moving up, or maybe moving down, we have the Rings of Akhaton, or Akhaton. It's a, a Matt Smith story. The story's so bad, we can't even say the title. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't worth it, yeah. Anyway, the, like, one problem with that story is it has that speech in it, which every Doctor Who fan at a convention has made all the Doctors recite, even though they're like, well, we're not in it anymore, but now we've got to recite this speech that Matt Smith did just because they want to throw it on YouTube. And as complete luck would have it, I actually watched that yesterday. These poor old Colin Baker. Oh, please, Colin, please do the speech from the, you know, if I was Colin Baker, I'd be like, well, it wasn't good enough to, for you to be the doctor all those years ago. Well, should I be doing your stupid speech? Yeah, I, I think there's some robots in hoods in that episode and there's some lots of visual effects of a planet and Matt Smith doing his big recital moment. But other than that, yeah, that one can stay in the... Uh, I almost wish we still had the uh, the BBC skip because we could throw that one in the BBC skip and maybe get the Evil of the Daleks back. <laughs> I think for a monologue to say or, or a speech, if you wanted to do a new Who, the, the Christmas story, where we was Tennant's first story, where he was telling the uh, the, the aliens that this, this, plant, this system is protected. Well, he's done nothing for the other 90 minutes and sit around and groan and wear his, wear his pajamas. So right. <laughs> it's a great moment when he does actually get to do something, you know? I know it's terrible that we're having a lampoon here about our favorite and in-favorite Doctor Who episodes, but it does, it does make you remember that for every great episode like the case of Andrazani, you do get a stinker like Time Lash, even though if Time Lash is in this list, and I don't know yet if it is, I will defend it till the bottom end of time. Don't ask me why. I just love tinsel on set. <laughs> That's part of the charm. It's part of the fun, you know. You, you, yeah, you gotta 
take the good with the bad, and uh, yeah, it, it's it all balances out. And uh, yeah, well, the ambulance is coming to take us away. The white cats are coming. Well, if they take you, I will defend Time Lash in your stead. Well, I, I thank you. The Borad thanks you too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have that one on video somewhere around here. I think I found it the other day. But we'll take another scoop of the shovel and go a little bit down. <laughs> <laughs> What, why are we skipping? 234, the Dominators. You see, I'm not so sure about that. It's got the quarks in it. The reason I'm in soft spot for that is because the 1983 Five Faces of Doctor Who repeats, which is basically the first time they repeated any Patrick Traven episodes for like 10 years. It was one of those episodes. So lots of people of my generation in England, that was our first experience, other than the Three Doctors, if we'd caught it, of 60s Who, and an unearthly child too was shown before that. So it's kind of hard to be hard on that one because it does have, you know what, you know what, I've just screwed up. I have, I've just screwed up. This is, well, take me away. I'm talking about the Crotons. Now <laughs> 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 ah, the Dominator is completely different, but you know what? Now I think about it, they're kind of interchangeable with each other. So maybe yeah, they were just had as each other. They were the Daleks that are not Daleks. Yeah. That's right. I've totally mishmashed those two episodes together, which is one of the problems I think with black and white Doctor Who. You tend to do that, especially if you haven't grown up on them. You tend to take elements from different episodes and squash them together. I'm sure there were some listeners that were yelling at their computers or their, or their <laughs> iPads. <laughs> no, he is. Oh, no, he's funny. He's funny. You know, that's why I always say I've forgotten more about Doctor Who than I ever will ever remember. But yeah, no, I, I still think it's kind of hard to, to be too negative about Dominators because there's some really quite good stuff in there, some good design work. Maybe, how many episodes is that? Four or six part? That is... I want to say it's a six part off the top of my head, but I think it is it is pretty long here. Give me a moment. Most of the problem with the black and whites is when you go from a four part to a six or seven or like Dark's Master Planet 12 part. It was just really hard for the audience to stick in with it. And I don't care if you're watching it on VHS or YouTube today. It's still, some of these stories outlive their welcome. Some of them don't, but some of them do. And it's actually five parts. Five parts. Which, yeah. that's, that's completely weird. That's yeah. 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 I don't remember who, who stories. You know? Yeah. I, as I said though, I think, I think we've been a bit harsh on that one. When we get to the end of the list, we'll see just how harsh we are. One thing I'll add about the Dominators, I believe the Dominators was the first appearance of Jelly Babies, I want to say. Oh, well, instantly, it's something about 15 in the ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't, I don't think that was the first Sonic Screwdriver. If you haven't, if you haven't had Jelly Babies, people out there, go immediately to one of the websites like uh, UK Foods or BritishFoods.com. Order yourself some Jelly Babies. They're not going to be quite as good as they were back in the 70s that a lot of English food where it used to be big is now small. It's like ice cream in, in, in America has shrunk over the years and they can charge the same amount for it, but they give you less product. But there's nothing quite as cool as going to a convention and offering your fellow attendees a jelly baby. You'll get bonus points. You said if you will. I think we'll move on to the next one because that one is, uh, they lived as well. Yeah. We're going into another Troughton story. The Space Pirates. Pirates. Yeah. Again, I got a hard time giving that one too much of a hard time. I had some good model work in it. We're not talking 2001 Space Odyssey or Star Wars quality, but there's some memorable ships in it. I get the feeling poor old Patrick Trent and William Hartnell are going to get a bad rap here simply because of there being so many younger people doing the voting now. And they're all yeah. for David Tennant and Matt Smith. 
just because of what they look like, not because they're actually got good episodes. Uh, yeah, it's like people are voting for things they haven't seen. Folks like Annie Smith is ever going to vote for the Space Pirates. Let's get that one on record, right? <laughs> True that. Is that that was the one where they had that cowboy-like character, right? I'm trying to remember specifics about it. But they, they, it's like they had a cowboy guy complete with trying to do the Southern accent. Hey, every good space opera has a cowboy. If you've seen Battle Beyond the Stars, Jolly Pepart, then you'll know that cowboys in space are awesome. <laughs> Rumor they they were talking to John Wayne about that role, but then he, yeah. he passed away. Can, and then if there's any movie producers out there, can we please have a Brave Star movie? Because that would just be cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's about time somebody tapped into that. Well, it's happening to everything else. <laughs> exactly. You know, somebody who's not Michael Bay. Yeah. Oh, please. Michael Bay is transforming. <laughs> uh, the nadir of my youth. To see, try and have any amount of Michael Bay Transformers that in any way reflects my Transformers of the 80s is an insult to my existence. And I'm probably going to go and see this new one, but just like the other three, there's no joy in my life about watching those movies. There's only pain. I, I just wait for the riff tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're a better man than I, Seth. Yeah. What is the next one on the list? We're actually going into Tom Baker territory. No, impossible. 230, 236 is Underworld. Oh, we see. Here's the problem with that. They didn't read the book before they saw the episode. <laughs> I read the book, and with the shield blasters, and with the cool spacesuits, and the amazing spaceship, and with the unveiling of the buckets off their head to reveal the nasty diamond-shaped heads that they had, in the uh, in the book, my love of that is still not destroyed by CSO crap. So I am, def- my, I have my shield of defense, which is the original Terence Dick's novelization. So it doesn't matter what you say or tell me, Underworld will always be awesome, even though the TV version exists. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I have no specific memories of it, but even the worst. Tom Baker episode is still pretty darn good. It's still Tom Baker. Because that, that was early in Leela's run, I want to say, right? Yeah. But I know it's Leela. What it's most famous for is that basically they were going to build all these sets and they ran out of money because the episode was at the end of the season. So they had to build models of the caves and then color separation overlay, green screen, the actors into the models. And it's basically picked up an incredibly bad rap because of that. It's also very loosely or, or very well, pretty much rips off Jason and the Argonauts. That's not a bad thing, because at the time, the Jason and the Argonauts movie with Ray Harrison was very fresh in my mind. But I, I'm a latecomer to the story on VHS. You know, I saw it probably like most of you guys out there in 88 on a bad VHS copy, and that really didn't help the CSO either. But uh, no, I really have fond memories of that, and very strongly, because the, the novelization created this world in my head that, is so much cooler than the TV show could ever do, and, and that's why I really love that episode. And it is funny you mentioned Jason and the Argonauts because who plays Phineas? Patrick Troughton. <laughs> yeah, Patrick Troughton's every role that he's ever done, he just inhabits, and such a great loss that we still have those wonderful moments of the box of delights and everything. It's just you haven't seen that. Go immediately stop this podcast now. Go immediately to YouTube. Watch the box of delights. Uh, watch Jason the Argonauts. So it's just another version of Patrick Troughton. But you know the Doctor lives in those performances just as much as anything. Mm-hmm. What do we got next after Underworld? I, I I would cut that immediately from the list. But let's go. What's next? <laughs> we're, we're moving into Peter Davison. Time flight. 
Now, now this is this one's ringing a bell because this was uh, <laughs> was this the one with the master master uh, intercepting flights or something? Page, yeah, the, for, pretty much the first time I'd ever put Concord on on movie or TV. The plasmatons. This has actually got some good stuff. It's, yeah, this is yeah. another one that I think would fall under the it aged poorly. An amazing master performance from Anthony Ainley as the uh, colored guy, the guy who has his amazing little uh, witchy poo box of delights scanner screen. It's just pure camp, but yes. it's also ingenious and brilliant. And then, of course, when he dies and all the goo comes out of his nose and poor Anthony Ainley, you can see he's like dying there in real life, trying not to swallow the BBC visual effects goo. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's got a bad rap because of the fact that it's all studio bound for the Cretaceous era or whatever, the, the Jurassic era, whatever the heck it is. It's got some bad effects with the aeroplane taking off and having the mat of the, the awful BBC visual effects landscape in it. But I'd also defend it quite well because it's got some good performances in it. Davison is as, as good as always. I just think it's as usual. What happens in Doctor Who, you write these great scripts, you get to the end of the season just like Underworld, and the rug is pulled out from underneath here because you've got 20 pounds and a crest sandwich to make an episode with. So we then, what, what do they end up doing? They end up making something like Time Flight. But I'd rather have Time Flight than no Time Flight. So that's why a lot of the times I'll defend these episodes till the end. Oh, one thing I'll add is about time flight, and this is sarcasm more than anything, but Tegan is actually useful <laughs> because she, she uses her flight attendant skills to calm the people down and get them back on the plane at the end. So that's pretty cool to see that the is laying on its side and the doctor kind of goes in sideways and is hanging upside down. He hits the button on the console and the whole console room writes itself to the right direction you know it's cool stuff like that though you know makes me want to defend these episodes because there's always these cool little nuggets and they've got their moments yeah so greg any thoughts on time flight yeah i remember the anthony ainley performance pretty vividly in the concord and uh, yeah the ainley is the sort of thing that you can kind of laugh with it is what every every american adult does when they go in a chinese restaurant and tries to be cool you know, they get the slanty eyelids and go, oh, number 22, please. You know, it's, it's just that kind of awful, racially bad kind of theatrical 70s performance that you just kind of cringe over now. But you're so glad it exists because <laughs> Anthony Ainley really is, to me, unstoppable as the master and you can well imagine that so much of this stuff just came out of his theatrical nature he was very much and his father was very much of a theater-based background raconteurs they loved comedy yeah so uh, the, again I'm, I'm sure if i was watching the episode i'd be in pain right now just going oh my god i can't believe i defended this but as jnt says the memory cheats and in this one i'll keep it another uh, floor down further down to the ground and well mark I'm going to give you the floor on this because number 238 is Timeline. <laughs> Which is Colin Baker. Yeah, this is the second season that I was really watching as a true fan. We knew very little about the episode from Doc Two Monthly. We'd seen the shot of the blue robot played by a guy called Dean something. I think it's probably the only thing he ever did in his life. But poor guy had blue skin, yellow hair. 
big white jumpsuit that years later I came up at the Doctor Who auction at Bonhams in 91 and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. It's the Android's jumpsuit. It was probably some of the worst costuming ever, but I got really excited about finding it. You know what? It is terrible. The big wall of polystyrene that they're all trying to get the crystals from and it's got the giant slabs of polystyrene with the little fronds of tinsel coming out the end. Got Paul Darrow overacting like nothing in your life and he's doing his Henry the Fifth job with the he even said he can I have a hump and then JMT thank God the producer said no you're not allowed to that's stupid well it doesn't stop Paul Darrow Avon from Blake Seven of course just overacting just like nothing you've ever seen in your life but real solid com- Colin Baker Nicola Bryant as usual is brilliant I do love the Morlocks the snake things that are chained up in in the awful set. It looks like it's at the bottom of the BBC canteen. And I I love the Borad. And I know every single person who watched this episode here in 1985 had a little chill down their spine when Colin breaks the mirror and there is John Pertwee on the wall because obviously John Pertwee had been the doctor that had visited the planet before. Another little nugget of excellence. But yeah, I really love the Borad. The Borad's makeup, his little chair, his flip bar... All very silly, but uh, there's a really chilling performance there hidden under that makeup. And the makeup's not bad, don't get me wrong. You know, when he starts all that threatening stuff about Perry and stuff, you know, there's some nasty going on there. Your attempted witticisms are beginning to become tedious, Doctor. I really wouldn't fire. If you do, this crystal will absorb the energy and beam it straight back at you. You're lying. I did warn you. So, yeah, time lash. Some ways it deserves the position. In other ways, I'd still rather watch that than than some of the new stuff that I've seen. All right, Greg, your thoughts on Time Lash? Yeah, I remember hearing all the hype about how this is one of the worst episodes ever. So I tracked it down and I watched it. And, you know, it was not that bad, I didn't think. I mean, of course, it has its limitations, but really, I don't, I wouldn't call it, I mean, it didn't, it didn't suck out loud, we'll say. <laughs> um, you might have been watching with your expectations too low, I guess. Oh, I'm sure I was. Yeah. Um, maybe someday I'll revisit it, but maybe it's better if I keep it in my memory where, where it is, where, where it's not too bad. It succeeded on some levels. Next one down, we're third from the bottom. This is one that I can, I can have a, a few thoughts about. It's a McCoy story. Time in the Ronnie. Whoa. And that's one of those I, I can see because. I actually kind of liked the Ronnie as a villain. I thought uh, the actors passed recently. Teomon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If anybody out there works on New Who, I was listening here, and if you are, I'd be amazed, but put the Ronnie in New Who. She's a perfect character to explore. Anyway, now, now, first off, I can understand the deviousness of the Ronnie because she essentially attacked the TARDIS to trigger Sixie's regeneration into, into McCoy. So it's kind of devious then she would then take advantage of the memory loss because she, but she still needed the doc. So. That part of it I thought was kind of cool, but then she dresses up as Mel. <laughs> so you have Kate Omar dressed as Mel, looking almost nothing like Mel. The show is damned from the very beginning. It's got Bonnie Langford in it. I'll totally agree with the, the, the Rani stuff. The thing that I will say, the problem with any character is there's a female version of the master. Invented and written by Pip and Jane Baker, who are probably reaching their ne- nearly 60 when they wrote that. They're a husband and wife writing team. 
I can well see their first script, which was Terror of the Vervoids, being quite amazing if it was made by Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. But as May, you have a typical, on a BBC set, awful, quickly made CSO spaceship, bad Vervoid creatures. The hit sculpt, the hand sculpts are great, but the costume is just terrible. So this is a problem with the Rani. She's an amazing character as written, but if you don't have the right actress, and Kate O'Mara was being a great actress for soap, I would argue that she wasn't so good because she hammed it up, maybe at the direction of the producer, maybe because she what she got out of the script, let's face it, during that period that was an awful lot of hamminess in the episodes. But I do feel that you're right. The character, the Rani, is played by an older actress, totally without humour apart from humour that's written well. That would be creepy. Yeah, humor that's not done at the character's expense. Absolutely. Time in the Rani, again, I mean, the interesting elements, the visual effects in that are amazing for the time. The little bubble traps, the CSO effect of the laboratory on the cliff. I like the Doctor's regeneration, even though it's just literally McCoy wearing Colin Baker's outfit. I still like that. And then there's the, well, the wonderful, or it seemed wonderful at the time, the, the title sequence, uh, which was completely redone for McCoy and obviously McCoy's silver face that was in the titles and the, the CGI TARDIS and the new music. But there's four parts. It's just so much silliness pouring out of every gap of the production of that. It's just really hard to say to like a new Doctor Who fan, here, watch this. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed a little bit. McCoy doesn't know what he's doing. So he's going for what he'd done most of his life, which is be silly, be theatrical, be pantomime. It's just oozing out of the characterization, oozing out of the episode. It infects everything. Even the actors who are trying their hardest to be drama. It, it's just being affected by the general pantomime-esqueness of the episode. So I actually really think this does probably deserve its place. Maybe not as low. Yeah. Not as low, maybe. I actually like the Tetrap, <laughs> as silly as they are. And I do remember the animatronic head with the tongue that kind of came out of the end of the episode. And there was a little giant brain thing, right? Like, yeah. You know, fueling a giant brain. But that, that sequence with the bubble that envelops Mel and, you know, <laughs> in, in your heart today, you do really, really wish you got destroyed and electrocuted. <laughs> the visual effects on that today are even quite, quite stunning, I think. But yeah, this, this one definitely deserves its place, I think. All right, Greg, any other thoughts? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that episode's so riddled with flaws, and some of them could be helped and some of them couldn't, given the situation that the show in general was in at that time period. A lot of it is straight-up silly and didn't exactly get Sylvester going on the right foot, but, uh, yeah, he managed to right the ship. And uh, If you take that version and then you put that version of the performance next to Curse of Fenric, it's almost like watching a different actor. Yeah. Uh-huh. Quite, quite stunning. And if you even flash forward again to the small amount of acting that he did in the uh, TV movie, it's so subtle. It's so much better. You, you can just see an actor in 20 years, Sylvester just has matured as an actor. And that's real. That's actually kind of a pleasure to see that because he's so off the rails in Time of the Rami, you almost think that there's just no hope. I can well imagine the people at the top of the BBC rubbing their hands in glee in 1987. Because they wanted the show to be done. They wanted the show to be dead. And mm. once they saw Time of the Rally, 
they must have been rubbing their hands with glee thinking, yeah, we're finally, people are going to watch this and they're just going to, we're going to put it up against Coronation Street. Two million people are going to watch it and then we can close the lid on this thing and it's done. To its credit, it, it, it came, continued on and limped forward another two or three seasons, but yeah, go. Oh. Let's move on to the next one. I'm feeling we sick thinking of that episode. <laughs> We're going modern and name it tenant episode. Fear of her. Indeed. I fear the episode. It's just terrible. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> There's nothing good. There is nothing good to say about this episode other than that Billy Piper looks kind of cute. That, yeah, the doctor has the Olympic torch, right? That, yeah, has the Olympic torch, which is rather funny. I, th- I think, if I remember rightly, that Olympic torch came up for sale. Someone, someone nicked that off the set and sold it. Yeah, I, mm. this was the one where they were drawing people and they they were getting sucked in, and then it's because remember they, it, it's like they made everybody at the Olympics disappear, and the and the the, the building the the Seth by continuing this conversation, we're giving power to this episode. Let us take the power away from this episode. (laughs) Let it die. P.S. Nuts that it should have. It it embarrassed me as much as any episode of Doctor Who ever has. It actually made me mildly better than the Absorbal Off. I'm just going to say that. I will just say that I was trying to remember if I had the episode right. So we'll hit the basement now. Is this really the is this the worst episode of Doctor Who ever? But this one, the the one we're about to we're about to bring up. Yeah. Okay, go on here. Brace for impact, I, everybody. Well, this is so. Go ahead, okay. hit me. It is Colin Baker, and I can actually understand why it's here. It is the twin dilemma. Silence. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like the longest time I ever watched the first episode because it's like. What, okay, can can we get to something happening? These two twin kids. It's like they talked and then they talked. And then they talked. Well, then you have the doctor and Nicola, Brian, and they are talking and they are talking and occasionally he's attacking and the music is is coming in and you're just like, what is going on? And of course, flash forward years later and you've got people talking about, hey, the doctor is psychotic and he's going to attack and possibly do something naughty to poor Harry. Look, we have to use hindsight on this episode. The whole plot of what was going on there is that they were presenting Colin as a psychotic, psychotically broken doctor who over the course of the next three years would mature from this person that we hated into a doctor that we loved. The problem is they never gave Colin Baker the script editor who would see that through and also the number of episodes he could see it through. So for literally one whole half of Colin's career of Doctor Who, He's portrayed in a negative way. Now, today, they probably would have done this over the course of one or two episodes. But, you know, they really took a risk there of, of seeing the Doctor moving from this hateful person with a terrible costume, which was done on purpose, to what would probably been the Doctor who would probably be now on the top of the list of Doctors because he would have been nice and his costume would have been elegant. But it, it was taken from him too soon. It is a terrible episode. I can't really defend it. But going in with the knowledge today that we have of the reasons why the episode was written the way it was, and also, let's again be upfront. Three or four episodes from this list that you've given me, I can tell you categorically from the end of the season. There was no money for these things. It's hard to defend the script. But if you could look at these scripts and maybe put the money into them and the time and the performances, I guarantee you they wouldn't be this low. But it's because they're at the end of the season, there's no money, there's no time. I really think 
in almost every case. That's why these episodes have earned their place on the list. I would say you are exactly right. All right, moving on to the top 10 stories, and we're going to go from 10 and move on up to one. Move on up to the top. Number 10. (laughs) Number 10 is McCoy. Remembrance of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. I got nothing but good memory of it. This was, I think, the final Dalek story of classic Who, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. I was really lucky because my Doctor Who fandom was in full swing. There was a convention called a day at the Forum run by the Doctor Who Appreciation Society, and they actually ran a convention at that school. So we got to go in the playground where the ship landed. We got to go into that area of the school, you know, where the little girl was near the sign and the music was all weird. We got to see where the TARDIS landed, that wonderful stairwell where the Dalek was attacked by Ace with a baseball bat. Man, this, 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 this is good Doctor Who. Yeah, take that river song. Yeah. Ace took down a Dalek with a baseball bat. Yeah. <laughs> well, you remember, she also had a, a rocket launcher, you know. This is quality stuff. There was still not quite enough money to do it perfectly. Like the Dalek battleship, the set, even though it was big for Doctor Who standards, is still incredibly small. They admitted as such that it should have been four times bigger. But everything from music to performances to the script by Ben Aronovich, this is Doctor Who that I would happily show anybody and be really proud of what they did. Love it. Greg, I'll let you have your piece, and then I'll say the two things that I love about this episode. Well, I think anybody would tell you it's top three for Sylvester McCoy. I don't have a problem with putting it at number one for him. I liked it a lot. I could find very little to complain about with that episode. It was it delivered the goods all around, I thought. Okay. I should say three things, because one of them is Ace taking out a Dalek with a, with a baseball bat. But another thing, three words, special weapons Dalek. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't think we ever saw it do a dupe well, I think it does blast one Dalek into the Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. It comes out and it's this tank-like thing here. Yeah. 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 It's like basically a Dalek tank. And the ending of the episode where McCoy is talking to Davros. Uh, yeah, this is, I think it's the only time Davros. Davros's head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> basically, Davros is just in like this this giant chest pawn piece. And Davros is going through his, his usual, we will conquer, we will And McCoy just throws it right back. Unlimited power, unlimited waste, put in, etc., etc. Et that, that was total surprise to fandom. None, none of us knew that the Emperor Dalek was going to be Davros. That was really cool. And at the end of the episode, as a little, uh, many of you may not have noticed, but when you see the Dalek battle cruiser hanging out and it explodes, there is actually a really infinitesimally small escape pod you can see drop away from it that's not actually a mistake that is meant to be davros escaping which of course years later i think was referenced in the time war about how davros survived the episode because davros didn't mm-hmm. want to be a new boost. I, I got a couple of little interesting factoids too about this episode that you may not know number one as much as you can go to your local walmart and buy a baseball bat we don't play baseball in England like cricket. <laughs> they actually yeah. had to sculpt a baseball bat and make a mold from a clay master. So they actually had to literally visual effects up a baseball bat for Sophie to use. And oh. that was sold at the day at the forum convention. Actually got broken in half in one of the sequences and they had to glue it back together. The other thing is, and this is a very famous story told by Sylvester and Sophie. In that sequence of the special weapons Daleks, Sylvester and Sophie are in the van, and Sylvester isn't wearing his glasses, so 
<laughs> he was often had to be told where to drive by Sophie because he's blind as a bat without them. So they're driving around and uh, they're just finishing that sequence um, when the special weapons Dalek explodes the Daleks under the bridge. And that was such a big explosion that it set off for nearly two miles around all of the car alarms <laughs> and the local police station and the fire station sent out uh, a team of people because they thought that a bomb had gone off. And one of the stories that's apocryphally said, I actually do believe this one, although it does sound a bit like a convention story that you would tell, is that the fire department arrived at the scene and smoke and dust hung in the air for minutes after the explosion. And as the firemen brought their hoses around from the back, the fog cleared and the Daleks that were left to represent the Daleks that had fired at the renegade Daleks, the grey ones, were still, without any actors inside, standing in the middle of the bridge. So you could, can you believe that as a fireman, you are witnessing the rem remnants of this gassy, smoky explosion, and as you are bringing out your hoses to put out the fire that you would expect to see, there are Daleks coming out of the smoke. That must have been incredible. And so many stories about that episode have been told over the years. It's clearly obvious that people loved working on that story. Even Ace with the Ghetto Blaster walking into the cafe. The little, there's a little racial moment in there too, as written about the African American guy in the cafe. It's just the doctor's gravestone having the symbol for a mega on it. There's just so much good stuff to say about that one. I think I'd put it even higher on the list. We could talk about that episode for nine. But we will move on to number nine. Number nine is a tenant episode, Human Nature, which I can see this one and I, it's, I don't want to sound derogatory for it because I can understand why people like it, but this really does sound like one of those stories for the fans that could come in and out of the blue and just watch this episode. This is, this is based on tenants back. I mean, I I think the episode is interesting. There's some cool things about it. But for it to be this high up, I totally don't see it. The book's better. It kind of like inhabits its two episodes, but it wants to be more like the book and it's constantly fighting to try and be more like the book. I totally disagree with this one. This is this this is a bit of overhypeness. So uh, you know how DC Comics has their else worlds? To me this almost came across like if Doctor Who had an else worlds, it would be this. I agree with both of you. Yeah, it's it's a, a little bit high for what it is, although it's I mean it's certainly a good quality episode, but I wouldn't quite put it up there. I would I would have to say I would probably swap it with a Pertwee episode. Gazing into my crystal ball of the future of the list, I'm not sure I can see one. I know you Paul Cornell, if you're out there and you're listening to this, your your story's awesome. I'm not knocking you. Only because I know you. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are no Pertwee episodes in the top ten. Mm -hmm. The highest Pertwee episode is at 18, which is Inferno. Mm. Well, let's swap them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put Inferno at in number nine then, right? Because like, <laughs> that one making a, making a top list. Yeah, but again, a, a lot of the kids voting for this probably had not seen Inferno. This is the American Idol factor. You might love this male singer, and then you might think the girl is the stronger singer, but all the tween girls are going to vote for the guy. So this is the, the, this is what has happened with these lists over the years. The, 
The girls have come in really taking the Doctor Who, which is freaking awesome. I remember going to conventions in the 90s and there would be one girl for every 100 guys. Mm-hmm. Now you're probably at 50-50. This, this is amazing, mm-hmm. but it is skewing this list something bad. <laughs> All right. I know. Moving up to number eight, and this is not the only time we're going to see Tom Baker on this list. It is Pyramids of Mars. Mm-hmm. Oh, are we even debating this bloody amazing episode? Awesome performances. The the mummies are great. Enough said. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic from top to bottom. And I'm reminded of it every time I go to the Hall of Egypt at the Carnegie Museum of Natural History in Pittsburgh. I bring Sutek's gift of death to anybody who will put me lower than number seven. <laughs> <laughs> number seven is actually the only Eccleston appearance. And I think you guys can guess which one it is. It's the empty child slash the doctor dance. No, I thought it'd be Aliens of London. I'm <laughs> <laughs> joking, of course. Yeah, wonderful. You know, who who was ever, ever going to get the image of that child with the gas mask out of their, out of their head? I don't particularly like the doctors. The doctor guy from One Foot in the Grave, I don't like him turning into the, the gas mask guy. It all looks a bit hokey today. But that ev- everybody lives thing, wow. I remember, I remember watching that. My mum took the episode and, and recorded it and sent it to me on DVD. Wow. That, that's, that's just classic to who is. What I'll say about this and then I'll, I'll pass it to, to Greg, but this is one of those stories that they could have done in the Tom Baker days with a similar setting. Now, obviously the budget would have been different and all that, but the way everything resolved and like you said, ever, everyone lives. I was able to save everybody the, this once, I mean, you, you could you could imagine Tom Baker practically tap dancing on the TARDIS uh, because of it. Mm-hmm. I wish, based on the strength of this episode, that we had gotten more Eccleston. I, I think as much as it's perfect to have what we got from him in a different world, there's something about Eccleston that just makes you wish there was more because he's just giving everything in those performances. The scripts are giving him what he needs to do it. They haven't saddled him with a stupid costume. And they've saddled they've saddled him with Billy Piper, which must have been really awful. <laughs> but oh yeah, this, this is quality Doctor Who. This this deserves its place. All right, Greg. Yeah, it's good stuff. I to be honest, I might have put the episode Dalek above this one, but it's. I mean, if you're only going to show someone one episode of the Eccleston run, you really can't go wrong showing the Empty Child. All right. Number six, more Tom Baker. And I can see how somebody would look at this episode and, quite frankly, scream racism. <laughs> the Talons of Wang Chang. Shred your flesh. This is an episode, the only possible thing you could say that's bad about it is the, the rat. Mm-hmm. That's been brought up by every reviewer in the history of the world who's ever done a written piece about this. Deep Roy as Mr. Sin, which... I'm absolutely very honored to have owned the one of, there was two Mr. Sins made for it. One of them was the dummy that had a movable head. And I actually had that dummy head in my personal Doctor Who collection. It had been on display in Blackpool for a number of years and the gentleman saved it from being thrown away and I was able to buy it. I owned that for about 10 years. It was a privilege because that's one of those things that really to me, is just so much Doctor Who, you know, the idea of a dummy being alive and then adding that amazing Terence Dick's idea of having a pig's heart. So the thing, oink, 
I mean, that only happens in Doctor Who. That, that's the type of thing that probably would have creeped me out as a little kid. Just yeah. has this little ventriloquist-sized doll, and then it turns and looks. Yeah. yeah. And the, the other the other one of those is, of course, the costume and the mask worn by Deep Roy, who you would have seen most recently as the Umba in the rather awful remake of Charlie the Chocolate Factory. But uh, look at Tom Baker wearing a Sherlock Holmes outfit. Yeah. Somewhere in America, they actually sold that Sherlock Holmes outfit at a 1983 convention. I believe it might have even been the Chicago Doctor convention. Someone in America has that full Sherlock Holmes with the hat Tom Baker costume. And as a collector of wardrobe, I would just sell my second pug. <laughs> Wait, second dog. I would sell my second dog for that costume. Don't I, Allison, I'm, I'm, I'm not telling the truth. <laughs> I think if it was a Chicago one, I wonder if it's the one that was recently put up on Geekville, the son of Spanduli, pipped with uh, John Pertwee. Yeah, from closing out my comments, this is one of those episodes that you could put on TV today, and if they could just make that rack slightly better, it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant Doctor Who. It's just amazing stuff. And, uh, you know, everybody who made the episode should be incredibly proud. That's, that's, that's quality TV. And one thing from a character standpoint that interested me is, yeah, you talk about Tom Baker dressed up in Sherlock Holmes like, and then you put Leela in a period appropriate costume. My fair lady is basically ripping off. Of yeah. And Hughes Jameson is a very beautiful woman and she looked great in the uh, loincloths, but. From a character standpoint, putting that character in the dresses like a savage and then putting her in, the, in these eloquent outfits where she has to act ladylike, I just find that interesting. Hmm. So, well, Hen- Henry Gordon Jago and Lightfoot, of course, you could easily have gone and spun them off and made a whole different TV show about these old guys who look into weird things that happen in London. That, that, that. It's just so much going on in that story. It's just so much good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as I said, that'd be the first thing. If anybody ever wanted to see what my idea of good quality Doctor Who is, I'd say, here, just please try and take the rat and make it better in your mind. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the best that Tom Baker's ever had to offer. It holds up pretty well today. The only, the only real quibble anybody can have about it other than maybe the rat would be, yeah, the quote-unquote racial slash ethnic element of it, but it was not done in a derogatory manner. And I don't think it's necessarily a criticism that has much weight. Right. Well, I think where the criticism would come from is they used an obviously not oriental mm. actor and then put the makeup on to make him look oriental. I think that's, yeah, that's what yeah. it would from. I mean, and that's not a knock against the actor, John Bennett, because that guy, I personally have met him and uh, he's just a fantastic actor. Um, everybody at the time from Disney through to some of the movies of Mickey Rooney in the sixties, they were all doing it, taking a white actor and sticking makeup on them. It's just a product of the time. And we can't, we, we, you know, it's the same thing about Benny Hill. We can't knock something today because of the prejudices of today that have been inflicted upon us on the past. It's just not, it's not cool because the thing is those guys back then, Nobody batted an eyelid. It, it wasn't something that people talked about or brought up. So it's kind of like the rat, and you just have to accept it as part and the parcel of what you're watching. And if anybody was to get bent out of shape about that today, I would just tell them, well, you, you kind of need to look at that through fresh glasses. Mm-hmm. All right, moving up, we have more Tom Baker. Big surprise. <laughs> Number five is City of Death. Ah, I freaking love this. <laughs> Paris, yeah. 
fantastic music. <laughs> Can't get that out of my head. Whenever I go into a new city and I'm wandering through the city, that, that music just comes and hits me, especially if I get on the underground. It's just, just Dudley Simpson at his best. His Scaroff. Oh my God. That is such a cool performance. And of course, when he takes a spoiler alert, when he takes off his mask at the end of episode three, oh man, it, it's awful makeup to, but it's just so gut wrenching. It's like, my God, there's an alien inside that thing. Uh, <laughs> the model work is just brilliant. There's some great special effects work with a chicken turning the egg and everything. Lala Ward is fantastic. Douglas Adams' script is solid as a rock. Tom Baker is just, he is absolutely at the height of his powers. Again, another just absolutely 100% earned place on the list. Yeah, I think it, you could even make a case for a number one, really. Yeah. I, everything here is just switchable by probably three or four votes, probably two or three memories. Yeah. But this, this is just rock solid to me. And, just for geek reference, I mentioned Iskara, the actor that played in Julian Glover, was it Glover or Glo- Glover? Glover went on to be the villain in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Donovan. And Star Wars fans remember him as General Veers. Mm-hmm. First catch of the day. Yes. <laughs> and he was also in, with a moustache and a beard, he was the villain in For Your Eyes Only. Mm-hmm. The giant and Phil, and I believe he's currently in Game of Thrones. Ah, uh, he's got a big long wizard beard. But at some point, I think he. Oh was. yeah, you know what? I think you're right. He, he, yeah, uh, yeah, he, he absolutely, he definitely was on the show. Whether he still is currently, I could not say. Yeah, I'm behind in my Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to get on the Game of Thrones. This podcast will be five hours long. Maybe we'll do a separate one one day because that show is wonderful. So move on to four. Number four. Mark, I know, I think, I think we'll all have something good to say about this. It's Peter Davison, The Caves of Androzani. I see. Which really are caves, but <laughs> you're going to be surprised. I actually don't love this episode probably as much as people would expect that I would love it. Everybody in history who's ever reviewed it is not the magma creature. It doesn't really move much and it's a big lump of fiberglass. I could care less about that. Everybody loves, you know, I don't remember his name, John something's performance as the main villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually got the latex face. And stuff. No, no, no. I'm talking about the businessman. Oh, okay. And then also his secretary in the blue. Oh, I actually really love that role of the secretary who's actually trying to be the boss by upturning him. There's really good performances from the guy who plays the head mercenary, Pete Davidson, of course. Whenever I think of David Tennant saying, I don't want to go. I, I just also think of Peter Davison saying that too. I'm not entirely convinced that he really wanted to leave. I think he probably put in his chips and said, I want to leave the show. But there's things in Case Vander's Army where you can just see this guy is like, he's at the height of his powers and he's now leaving. And I think he got that feeling that maybe he should have done a couple more. You know, I think you're right because I have an unofficial DVD with interviews from several of the doctors and Peter Davison actually said he wished he would have stayed one more year, but he left because he was a little worried about getting typecast. Yeah. It was never really the case. He was such a good actor. He didn't need to worry about that. Mm -hmm. Um, He already had a successful run in all creatures, great and small. Yeah. I think that's what got him the 
the wall. Cher is Jack is the main villain, of course, with that amazing mask that he wore to cover up the burns. The music get, can get a little bit campy when it starts crescendoing as he starts getting all mad. But I, I still think that that performance is amazing. I wouldn't put this as high, but I do know why everybody chose this because it is a very emotional episode and it's one that we all grew up on. It's just not my favorite one. But again, lots of good reasons to have it here. It's just my personal opinion. Greg, anything to add? Well, to me, I felt like as far as the character of the fifth doctor, it was his defining moment, giving up his life to save Perry. And uh, there's, yeah, I, I, I was hit and miss on a lot of Davison's episodes, but uh, yeah, this one is all good with me. It, it was a fitting end to his run, which uh, yeah, probably could have stood to be longer, but as it is, I thought it came off pretty much perfect. Number three is going to be our final Tom Baker story. I uh, anybody want to take a stab as to what it is, because you're probably right. Creature from the pit. <laughs> There's a name on. Or how about this? The stereotypical everybody's favorite Tom Baker episode. Genesis of the Dollar. Yes. Oh, I'm right. <laughs> yes, yeah. That was a complete guess, folks. This is totally, totally based on that one scene with Tom Baker and Davros. And the touching of the wires. Do I have the right? Yeah. It, I mean, that's why everybody picks this thing. And really love it. But, but based on the fact that it's got that scene and Michael Wisher as Davros is just unbelievable. He had a similar scene later with Davison where, where Davison was going to kill Davros. And then he, he just, he couldn't bring himself to do it. Yeah. Yeah. From mm-hmm. resurrection of the Daleks with the gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, I'll go with this in, in the way that it's so hard for me to actually like, I mean, I never could have created a list like this. I don't know how people did because so much Doctor Who to me is made up of moments rather than whole stories. Mm-hmm. We we mustn't miss out Peter Miles as the uh, the Gestapo type guy who's just brilliant in this. Him and Davros were good friends in real life as actors, and uh, it's just some some really good performances in this episode. Uh, Ian Martyr, of course, finally gets something really solid to do as Harry. We do get to see Liz Sladen give a great performance. This story is famous for the giant clown, where I actually owned that for a while <laughs> in England in my Doctor Who collection. I can tell you it was a big lump of fiberglass and very silly. No pals in it. I was very disappointed. But yeah, this is, I can clearly see why this episode is on the list. Anything to add, Greg? Or? Yeah, I would not argue with it being in the top spot. You could say it's the best Dalek episode as well as the best Tom Baker episode. Granted, I really enjoy the combination of Doctor and Companions, maybe because that's how I was introduced to the show with that that crew, but uh, yeah, this one is top-notch. All right. Number two is David Tennant, and uh, I think we'll probably be quick on this one because David Tennant's really not in it that much, but it's a lot of New Whovians' favorite stories, and that's Blink mm-hmm. with, the, with the Angels. Blink is, funnily enough, an episode of any sin like twice. Totally loved on the concept mm-hmm. you know that the concept on that is it's always hard isn't it to come up with different concepts i think there are only so many different stories in the world they say stephen moffat i think wrote this one didn't he i believe so yeah it's totally amazing because of that where it all comes into place all the tumblers the lock click into position is just a pretty amazing bit of tv but i would argue is it amazing doctor who I'm not entirely sure what that's because otherwise I wouldn't want to watch it more. Yeah, it seemed like a horror story that just happened to have elements of the Doctor in it. It's perfect Twilight Zone, so yeah. Mm-hmm. As, as I've always felt, 
it's it I'm not of course people are gonna argue till I blew in the face so there's great quintessential doctor here. I do like that scene when the doctor is running past them with a bow and arrow and she like knows who he is and he doesn't know because he hasn't met her yet. That, that that's really cool. And of course the weeping angels are completely amazing. So maybe it does. Maybe I grudgingly would say it should be in the top twenty five, but certainly when I think of Doctor Who I don't think a blink. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Yeah, it's all about the Weeping Angels. I mean, yeah, they knocked that one out of the park. You could argue they're the most memorable new monster of the new series. Mm-hmm. I think they really left such an impression on the people who made this list that uh, that's the reason that the episode is where it's at. Uh, I- I'm I'm okay with it being the top ten and up. And number one, I'll tell you right now, we're not going to talk very much about it because we spent like an hour in episode 42 talking about it of, of the regular Geekville podcast. Number one is the Day of the Doctor, the 50th anniversary special. Mm. So the, the, this is totally undeserved. <laughs> yeah. And the main reason for it is because uh, to me, it's not quintessential up to who. It's very fun and lots going on on it. And everybody's got all rose tinted lenses because it was the last Doctor Who to be shown. But this is a great example of a whole bunch of youngsters who haven't had a chance to see all the older episodes, I believe, voting en masse a la American Idol. Yeah, because it's got Tennant and Smith there. Yeah, I, you know, I'm sorry. I, I loved, I love a lot of things about this episode, but this is not without what Doctor Who to be. And uh, I actually think without even knowing, I'm pretty sure you guys are going to disagree with it too. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. what I said about it, and the review we did last year, I, yeah, it was good, not great, but I could even see elements of it that were great. I just preferred the classic stuff. All right, Greg, you get the last word, or are you just going to refer back to your previous statements? Yeah, I stand behind whatever it is that I said last time. Geekville Radio. And thus concludes our final trip in the TARDIS for National Podcast Post Month, November 2023. We will, of course... Continue with examining the doctor. We will have our next examination for examining the doctor up soon, and that is going to be the Patrick Troughton story, Fury from the Deep. It is one of the restored animated stories. And then after that, we are going to dive into New Who, where we will cover the modern 60th anniversary David Tennant specials. So something for both old school Whovians and New Who fans right around the corner. This is, of course, Geekville Radio. You can find us at geekvilleradio.com. Find us on the social media, Facebook, X slash Twitter, and Instagram at Geekville Radio. Give us a like. Give us a follow. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast. Just do a search for Geekville Radio. We're classic wrestling memories for you wrestling fans. And you can find our stuff. Give us a review. Give us a rating let us know what you think let us know what we can do better let us know what you think we're we're doing well with i always look for feedback especially when it's genuine so i'm going to dematerialize the tardis here and we will talk to you folks again tomorrow where we'll be diving back into the lesson on geek hall of fame for the final time where crazy train and myself will induct the horror studio amicus productions and that will be the conclusion of lesson on geek hall of fame inductions and then for the last day, uh, let's just say things things will get a little bit crazy for the final day. So thank you folks for listening, and we'll talk to you folks again tomorrow talking Amicus Productions. 
Thank you for listening to this edition of Examining the Dot. Join us next time when we will examine Fury from the Deep, starring Patrick Trout. Examining the Doctor is part of the Geek Radio Podcast family. It can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find great podcasts, and also can be found at geekvilleradio.com. Some media used on Examining the Doctor is the property of its respective copyright holders, all rights reserved.